Today, I wanted to talk about what uh, I've entitled the peculiarity of expired dreams. Uh, it's sort of a soft launch to our fall sermon series, homily preaching teaching series uh, that will get going in earnest next week uh, as Jenna shares and then the rest of our preaching team uh, in following Sundays. But wanted this to be sort of, like I said, just a soft launch for all of that. So what questions do you mull over on a long Texas drive? If you've lived in Texas for any amount of time, you have inevitably found yourself on one of these drives. And if you're like me, it doesn't matter whether you have music or podcast or audiobook or whatever else it is you're doing. Perhaps if you're not like me and you have kids and other things in their car, there may not, the question just may be, why did I do this? There has to be better birth control. I don't know. But assuming that's not where you are, um, what are the questions you mull over on a long Texas drive? We might think about questions about the future, worrying about will you be able to retire ever? Is that even a thing uh, in the future? Uh, if, if you're like me, you might find yourself wondering about the future of the church, both like Vox in particular, but also in the larger realm, the sense of like, will there be any sort of connected, anchored understanding of the Jesus movement going forward? And if so, what will that look like? Um, perhaps, especially if it's Texas and it's the summer, you're particularly aware of climate change and wondering about what world we are passing on uh, to future generations and even uh, how excited you are or, not, or are not to live in the world we currently have as a result of it. Um, could also be thinking about questions of the past, whether that's broken relationships, dead-end jobs, or lost loved ones, and sitting with that, thinking, man, I spent a lot of time with that, and I wonder how that could have ended differently, or if there was a way that didn't have to end, or I really miss that person or that season. Perhaps if you're feeling particularly existential, uh, you might think about your questions about your true self, whether those are unexplored passions, talents you have since shelved or perhaps never even really uh, started to work out, or just gnawing longings that you have within you that you have tried to keep at bay for a long time. What is the stuff of your expiring dreams? Uh, I got this language of expiring dreams from an article I was reading about the film The Last Picture Show. Great film. Highly recommend. Not safe for work, but most films are not, right? Uh, and Michael J. Mooney, who was talking about this, if you don't know about it, it takes place kind of in sort of a panhandle-ish uh, Texas town uh, that is in theory mythical, but is likely... We actually probably know what town it is, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and Michael J. Mooney, in talking about the characters in this film, uh, specifically talking about the adults, because it mostly centers around uh, these teenagers in high school, but he says of the adults, carefully rendered adults trying to cope with their own expired dreams and broken lives. And as you see this film and you look at the downtown, even in the 1950s, that seems already not like you would imagine, like some back to the future, like, oh yeah, isn't this, everything's going, and it's like, no, 
This town already feels like time is passing it by in the 1950s uh, and that it's no longer the place and everyone there feels restless. And you see that reflected in the teenagers, but also in the adults that are around them, uh, this sense that perhaps has life somehow passed them by, that what they had perhaps hoped for themselves and for their world doesn't seem to actually have played out for them. And there is this, uh, at the center of town, this movie theater, this is the last picture show, is about, uh, a, and in some ways centered around an actual theater, a movie theater. Uh, and I think there's even some thought around what is the place of creativity and art in this community. And as this community ages, this community in the film, um, how do they make space for that or perhaps cease to make space for that as they find their own dreams expiring, as their own imagination perhaps begins to wither on the vine. And so I want to first explore what it looks like when we sit or when we are sitting with expired dreams. Because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, right, probably most of us in this room are not going to win the Olympic medals that we thought we might win at some day or whatever other, you know, we're probably, for most of us, I don't know all of you, that, has, that date has probably come and gone for us. Uh, not gonna happen. It was, a, it was a hard day for me when I acknowledged that I was never going to be an NBA basketball player, which I should have acknowledged from middle school when I was on the bench the entire time. <laughs> but it was really just a few months ago that I've been able to finally say, okay, it's, we're, <laughs> It's done. We're letting that one go. Uh, but what are the expired dreams that you carry with you? Can you name them? Can you mourn them? Can you reflect with them? In our passage, we see verse 1, Exodus chapter 3, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses is gainfully employed in ranch work. As far as we know or can tell, he's not necessarily been educated or particularly practiced in the work of religious leadership or some kind of spiritualism. That, that's his father-in-law, Jethro. He's the priest. He's the one who has the credentials for religious or spirituality. And it's Moses who we find in this place, no longer in the Prince of Egypt sort of phase of his life. That has seemed to be a dream that has now expired fully for him. He's way outside of power and prestige and connection and promising expectation. He's off in the middle of nowhere and kind of probably be a town very much like we find in the last picture show where it just seems like time has forgotten this place, has forgotten these people. And even if we were to think that perhaps something of spiritual substance were going to happen in this middle of nowhere space, we would probably anticipate that it would not be Moses through whom it comes, but rather his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest, How have you been shaped by expired dreams? I wonder what it was like for Moses after he has been on the lamb, essentially has murdered someone that he saw that was part of the Egyptian complex, enslaving the Hebrew people, 
And then I was like, oh, crud, no one's followed me. I don't know what was on Moses' mind. We're not really told. He's just like, I killed a person. Ooh, that didn't work out well. I'm on the run. And in this instance, or not just in that instance, but then for many, many years, Moses is in the wilderness sitting with expired dreams. We don't know what Moses hoped to be. We don't know what he had been training for, what his dreams had been. Perhaps he had always wanted to liberate his people. That could have been the thing. Maybe that's some scholars think that's what he was trying to get started when he killed this Egyptian taskmaster. But whatever it was, Moses seems incredibly, impossibly far from what his dreams had been. And for not just months, not just years, but for decades upon decades, he's just sitting with his expired dreams. I imagine mourning them, grieving them, releasing them, acknowledging that, yeah, that, that's not gonna be the life for me, but what is the life that I can have here? What does it look for me? Not to pretend the past didn't happen, but to process it well so that I can be present to the present. Uh, though I believe I've shared uh, this, these lyrics with you before, uh, in the musical Wicked, Defying Gravity, the song Defying Gravity, there's this point that I still resonate with when I think about my own sense of expired dreams. If there was this version of my life that was going to flourish in moderate uh, Texas Baptist life, with the pretty significant condition that I stay closeted and closed off to a significant part of my true self. There was, for a significant time in my 30s, this, this question, this wrestling of, wow, I've put a lot of time and energy into creating a career path and a trajectory that would launch me in this way. And and if I were to step out on what I know is true about myself, if I were to really live into this, then that is closing a lot of doors that I have spent a lot of energy in trying to keep open. And in the song Defying Gravity, uh, we hear this. There's sort of the, this, this conversation between Glenda and Alphaba around uh, who, which way are we going to go here? Are you going to, you know, you can, she says to her, to, to Alphaba, who is looking like perhaps turning her back on Oz and on the wizard. Uh, Glinda's still trying to hold out to her and say, you can still be with the wizard, what you've worked and waited for. You can have all you ever wanted. And then Alphaba like just cuts her off. She's like, I know, but I don't want it. No, I can't want it anymore. She goes on to say that something has changed within her. Something is not the same. And that she's through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. She is in this moment acknowledging what it looks like to finally release those expired dreams in order of chasing Perhaps one of the only dreams that ever truly matters, that is living into the fullness of who we have been created and called to be by the divine. And so she lets go of that. She has been shaped for a while by these expired dreams 
to the place where now she too can release them. The next thing I want to explore is what it looks like to see with hopeful awareness. Moses has sat with his expired dreams. He has been shaped by them. And now comes this moment that perhaps none of us would have anticipated, except for we've all seen the Prince of Egypt animated, or perhaps you saw a Christian Bell as Moses. I kind of really like that. I think it's underrated. Uh, or Charlton Heston, or whichever was your preferred iteration. Uh, but verse two, there the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. I love the way Rabbi Mark Gelman uh, puts this in his book, Does God Have a Big Toe? Uh, a book that is a little bit about sort of a little bit midrash interpretation uh, of text that we are familiar with. He says it like this, Moses, who had run away from the palace and become a shepherd, saw the bush and sat down on the ground and watched. Moses watched and watched and saw that the bush's leaves were burned off and the bush's branches were black, just like any ordinary bush. The only thing different about this burning bush was that it did not burn up. It just continued to burn and burn. And the branches never fell down in a heap and the fire never went out. And Moses was the only one who waited long enough to notice. Moses tried to get the other shepherds to come over and watch the bush with him, but they all had better things to do. Moses also had better things to do but he did not know it at the time. It's this beautiful midrash interpretation of what is happening in these verses that, yeah, bushes are as common as like one of your friends or all of us being deconstructing and or decolonizing our faith in the Christian world. Like it's just like everywhere you go, you're running into it. And so it was in Moses' world. This is what happens. You see this everywhere. And yet what was remarkable was not to see a bush on fire. This happens all the time. But to notice it long enough, to pay attention to it long enough that you could see that, it, yes, it's burning like every other bush. It's just not burning up and out. It just continues. It continues. And Moses was present enough to the presence that he was able to become curious about something that probably... Most of us, I know myself, I'm too busy. I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor. Don't you know how busy that makes people? I, I've got things to do, places to go and see and work and to, to live out. I, I don't have time for bushes. And yet, it was Moses' ability to pay attention, to be to, connected to the presence that perhaps was the seminal difference. As our scripture says in verse 3, then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. I wonder how we might cultivate awareness to see the unexpected in the ordinary. How we wouldn't just get that sense of, oh, I know this, I've been in this conversation, I've seen this person, oh, I know if I get stuck with them on the way 
trying to leave uh, Vesper today. That I'm not going to get to lunch for like another 40 minutes, so I'm going to take an alternate route uh, to avoid that. I never think like that, I promise you. But I know that I'm the one that many of you... Anyways, uh, so what would it look like if we slowed down, could be present to ourselves and to one another enough to pay attention and perhaps notice the extraordinary and the unexpected, or to cultivate hopeful awareness to see the unexpected, even in flames of what we might name as failure, dead ends, opportunities that are no longer available to us? How might we sit with it long enough to see it in a fresh way? I'm, I'm heavily spoiler averse, so you're going to have to trust me that this is like the first minute of Reservation Dogs, the most recent episode that just came out this past week. Uh, but at the beginning of Reservation Dogs, uh, the episode that just came out this week, uh, we see Cheese is playing a game with his virtual reality headset. And I don't know a ton of teenagers in this season of life, but I can tell you there's nothing particularly extraordinary about that. Uh, you know, probably about the least extraordinary thing you could expect is to go like look into a teenager's room and see them connected to some sort of technology device and having a good time. And I don't say that dismissively of teenagers. That's also true probably of all of us. But, uh, but just to say that there's nothing extraordinary about it. And yet at the beginning of the most recent episode, the grandmother of Cheese is sitting in the doorway watching him, which, you know, it's also a funny, interesting thing to see someone in their virtual reality helmets, you know, slaughtering zombies or whatever they're doing. Uh, but you don't see that, so you just see them kind of doing the thing. Uh, but she sees this, but she doesn't have a bemused look on her face, which is what you might anticipate. She seems to have a curious, if not even forlorn, look on her face. She's paying attention to him in a way that seems to indicate she knows there is something unexpected happening, even in this most expected or ordinary thing. And I won't go any further because I am very spoiler averse, but, uh, but it becomes essential to the rest of the story for that episode, and indeed to Cheese's own life. I wonder what it would look like for us to be able to pay attention enough that we could notice that in our partners, in our friends, in our neighbors, in our kids, in our friends' kids, in one another. What would it look like for us to be able to pay attention that we could say, yeah, this seems just like every other day, but I can tell there's something in here, perhaps a question waiting to be asked, uh, an offer for some companionship in this particular moment that needs to be made explicit. Uh, that would allow us to be able to partner well with one another. The next thing we see is that they're discerning through the mysterious. Verse five, then God said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place which you're standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. I have a particular rock. I don't have it. It belongs to the earth. It's a big rock. Uh, but it's special to me, and it does happen to be here in the greater Austin area. It's outside of McKinney Falls State Park, not there proper, 
which is very near where I grew up. And so it's sort of what I consider to be my extended backyard from when I grew up. And it was a rock that I would love to wander to and sit on. It's right on Onion Creek and sit there and reflect, read, pray, sing, whatever it might be for hours on end. It is a special and sacred place for me. I am not appreciative of all the development that's happening in the area because the place is feeling a little less uh, sacred every time I, you know, oh, I, I, oh, that must be a family that lives just like about 100 yards that way, which didn't exist when I was growing up. Um, but I think about this because though it is true that God is everywhere and we don't have to be any place in particular to be able to connect with God, I think what we also know is true about our human condition is that though God is everywhere, we are not. We in this moment are finite and concrete and it helps to have places that anchor us, that reconnect us, that can be reminders for us to be open to God's presence in mystical ways and in the person across the street from us or living in the same house with us. And I think that this is perhaps what God is doing with Moses, reminding him that this is just in the ordinary place, but also this is going to be a moment in your life you're never going to forget. And so pay attention, Moses. Pay attention to the holiness, not just of this ground, but what Moses will ultimately come to understand lived out is not even just his own holiness of the divine in him, but Moses ultimately sharing with all of the people that we are all meant to be God's chosen, the ones that God delights in. We are the very place where God is at work in each and every one of us. It is this particularity of experiencing the divine that allows Moses to begin to imagine and see the divine goodness in unexpected places and all over the place. This reminds me a bit of a posture we're going to be talking a lot about over the coming next couple of months, which is our, or our posture, a value, which is posture. Uh, particularly, I wanted to look at this line where it says, in our, in our Vox Values of Posture, we are called to a deep acceptance of this messy humanity, both ours and others. And Moses has been wrestling with that for a long time. The ways he has fallen short, he's hit dead ends, that life has not turned out for him. And I imagine also the ways other people, particularly the Egyptian empire of his day, uh, did him what he might consider to be a little bit dirty. What does it look like for us to take that humble posture towards one another, to know that, yeah, we are all going to make mistakes and our life is going to be messy and that's not an excuse for us to just be as messy as possible, but it's also an invitation for us to partner and support one another well when life gets both messy and majestic to know what it looks like for us to journey with each other in those seasons. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses seems to be interacting with his crappy narrator. God has already said, you're going to be the one that I'm going to use to do this. 
And Moses like, yeah, but who am I? And it's like, God, it's, it's, this is a partnership thing, Moses. This is bigger than you, though it includes, includes you. Uh, and Moses, like many of us, is finding all of the reasons why this can't be me and this can't be part of what I am going to be doing and connected to. But I don't entirely blame Moses. He has been in empire and empire misshapes us in this ways. What is the mindset of empire towards its citizens? That we are untrustworthy, that we are dangerous and lazy, that we must be controlled or managed, that we don't, aren't to be the ones who envision or plan the future. It's, it's empire that carries it out, not us. Um, that we're interchangeable and used as resources for the empire. What is empire's posture towards citizens? Uh, that our talent and dreams and creativity are not to be discerned or developed if they aren't in service of the empire. And so we could see why Moses might also have been misshaped in a way that he says, you know, this really isn't mine to do. That, that's, that's Pharaoh's now. I'm, I'm no longer on that trajectory. And there are many ways that the empires that we exist in have misshaped us in this way too. Our passage continues, verse 12. God is saying, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people up out of Egypt, you shall see Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Which is something I've read a ton of chapters on over the last couple of weeks and nobody seems to have any clue what this has meant to me. <laughs> so, I mean, people have lots of ideas, but all of them are disagreeing with each other about what it's like. It's like, is the sign that once everything is done, you'll know I did it? Well, you know, like that seems like an interesting, peculiar sign. That can't be, you know. How will I know that I do it? Well, when it's done, you'll know that you could do it. Um, <laughs> there are lots of different theories about it, but whatever this is, it seems to be a mysterious sign that Moses is having to open himself up and trust too. And the final thing I want to look about in peculiarity of expired dreams is reimagining with community. Though it goes beyond our passage uh, in this same story of Moses at the burning bush with God, uh, as Moses continues to make excuses and to waffle, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 God reminds Moses, you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, same conversation. What of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Even now he is coming out to meet you. This impossibly big task is not just Moses, if we really read it and see clearly. It is the larger community that Moses is connected to. What seems impossible for one of us in discerning the vision and the future for how we go forward uh, becomes much less impossible when we connect and trust in what God is doing in one another. When we see the peculiarity of God's goodness in each of our lived stories and dreams and passions and giftedness and well-being. And over the next couple of months, we're excited to take some time to slow down to notice, to be a little more humble about the messiness and majesty of each other's lives and of our communal shared life and to see what God is up to. In one of the best television shows of all time, Lost, Saeed Jarrah says in season one to Charlie, you're not alone, don't pretend to be, and neither are any 
of us. It's one of the reasons I was excited that this past week, Wei and Vanessa and myself were able to go on a retreat in Chicago and to be shaped collectively. And though it was not primarily a retreat around vision, it was a retreat around Sabbath. While I was there, I was able to see Vanessa and Wei and be reminded of the excitement I have for the future of Vox and what God is up to here, that we're not alone, we have each other, but it's so much bigger than even just the three people in that picture. It's about the people in this room and outside of Vesper who we are connecting to and seeing God's goodness in. Where are you trying on your own where you might need to invite others in? I wanna take some time at the end of this homily just to take probably 30 seconds or so to be in silence. Some of the questions I've been asking us are gonna be up on the screen. How have you been shaped by expired dreams? How might you cultivate humble awareness to see the unexpected and the ordinary? Where are you trying on your own where you might need to invite others in? You might take the time to reflect and mull over one of those questions. Perhaps it's just a more basic thing. What of whatever Christopher has been sharing is even something I need to hold on to? Perhaps a lot of it is stuff you need to let go of. What is the thing? Let's just take about 30 seconds in silence to reflect on these questions, and I will close us coming out of that with a prayer. The story of God is not one of solo actors who save the day. It is one of community, of lineages and ancestors, of movements and relationships deep and broad. Ours is a faith that depends on all of us stepping into the power God has given us. Perplexing one, we do not always understand you or what you ask of us, but in your presence there is something that entices us, that comforts us, that challenges us towards the world we desire. Though you inevitably call us toward the risky and unfamiliar, may we not let our fears deter us. May curiosity and openness be our practices of faith. Amen.